Truth. 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 Welcome to Trusting the Truth with Samuel Tolley, where we view the world through the lens of Jesus Christ. We do not view Jesus Christ through the lens of the world. How are you doing? This is Samuel Tolley. And this is part three on climate change, food solutions, insects, or lab meat. Um, started this three weeks ago, and I'm hoping I can wrap it up next week, talking about windmills. But on part one, I gave a biblical and historical analysis of climate change, where I think the Bible shows that God is sovereign, period, and he's in control of the climate. I showed in part one, at least 32 examples of climate um, problems that these people presented themselves. And what I mean by problems is fake or predictions that didn't come true. There'll be a couple of more this evening. On part two, I got into electric vehicles, how they want us to drive electric cars. They want us to get rid of fossil fuels, as they say. But either the people are naive or they're not telling the people anything because electricity doesn't grow on trees. They need fossil fuel to generate electricity. So here you are using the very substance that you said you don't want people to use anymore to, to make them use a battery instead of gasoline, you know, for when we're talking about the car, that isn't as efficient as the gasoline from the oil. It's all a joke and it's all, it's just nonsense. And they don't discuss the fact that they use slave labor many times in the Congo to get the cobalt. And not just slave labor, but little kids. They put little boys in these mines and stuff. But see, the, these proponents of uh, climate change don't want to talk about things like that. And neither do they want to talk about things like this. For example, with the electric vehicles, if these people, once they get in control of your car, like, I, you know, there was OnStar. OnStar, I don't know if OnStar still exists or not. But they had OnStar, and then there was this company some time ago called LoJack, where they would have the capacity to shut your car down if, say, if it was stolen. And, okay. But what if the government had the capacity to shut your car down whenever they got ready? You know, I was uh, when I was living in California, there was a time where they were concerned about the uh, grid, <clears throat> the electrical grid, which they're still concerned about. And they offered me a reduction in my uh, electrical bill, this Southern California Edison, if I would allow them to have control over my thermostat. So if the situation came where it was extremely hot one day, and they're trying to save money on the grid, then they wouldn't allow me to reduce the thermostat as low as I may want it to make me comfortable so they can issue out more electricity. Well, I wasn't going for it. Uh, I didn't want to do it. But see, they always paint these things in such a nice way, just like they paint digital currency. People are naive and they're not understanding what's going on continue to use cash, demand cash. Because if we get to the point where we never use cash, we get to the cash of society. And I know many Christians can see that as 666, the mark of the beast, which it is. <clears throat> even if you're not a Christian, even if we don't get that far where the beast is in control. If government is in control, if you have a cash of society and all your money is electronic, think about what happened to the uh, truckers in Canada, when they were protesting, what did the government do? Shut off their access to their bank accounts. They didn't have any laws for that, but they just did it. So if we could uh, cash a society, uh, the government can just shut off your, your pocketbook. Oh, no, Mr. Tolley, you said some things last month that was not acceptable. So we're going to restrict your ability to buy food. Matter of fact, we'll let you go buy food, but we got a block on there, so you can't buy any steak. You can't buy any pork chops. 
you can buy some bread, some beans, and some rice for the next 30 days. They don't even have to lock you up. They can lock you up in your own house. But today, getting back to this global warming, I want to talk about food. These people want to control our food. If you can control what a man eats, you can control the man. So like I said, when I talk about a cashless society, that's just one facet. But now they're pushing to get rid of regular food. They're pushing to feed us insects. Oh, Sam, come on, man. You, you, you crazy. Yeah. Well, you can already go to a store and buy uh, bars, uh, you know, protein bars that have crickets for the protein. But let's just look at some of the information. Let's get into it. I want to show you this small video clip called uh, The Future of Food Edible Insects. Take a look at this. For the future generation, we need to find solutions right now for a better future because of climate change. And uh, edible insects are a solution right now. Climate change is prompting a re-evaluation of animal-based proteins across the food sector. One company in Switzerland is looking to lower its carbon footprint by introducing insects as their flagship sustainable superfood product. My name is Jean-Yves Quinde. I'm an owner of Entomos. We are selling a food product made with edible insect. In Switzerland, three types of insects are allowed. These are the mealworms, the crickets, and the locusts. The insects, they don't have a, a strong taste. The advantage is that you can marry it with a lot of different ingredients. Entomos, we are producing uh, snacks, for example, chips or tortillas. We are also producing uh, flour, which uh, can be used for a bakery. We are also producing a flexi burger, which is a burger made 50% of mealworms and 50% made of beef. While using a sustainable product is important for the environment, for a chef, flavor is still the key element in determining what to add to the menu. Je suis restaurateur ici au, au pont depuis 21 ans. Parce que je trouve que l'entité de travail avec les insectes est beaucoup trop importante pour la noyer. Je l'ai associé avec quatre, euh, trois légumineuses et un céréal. Donc lentilles jaunes, lentilles noires, lentilles brunes et du quinoa rouge. Euh, J'étais surpris, mais surpris en bien. Ça veut dire qu'il euh, n'y a pas de goût résiduel. Je peux l'associer dans mon palais, mon mémoire, ma mémoire gustative à trouver le goût de noisette. Donc euh, je m'y trouve, question gustative, avec euh, cette farine. If we are continuing to produce the food as we are producing right now, according to the FAO, in 250, be able to uh, feed only 50% of the people on the planet. So we need to find new ways of producing food which are completely nutritious and much more sustainable. What is uh, absolutely amazing with insects is that they can transform the waste we are producing into superfood, which is a, a completely uh, virtuous uh, circle. Il y a du futur avec le travail avec la, les insectes, avec les produits dérivés de cette production, et on va dans la bonne direction, à mon égard. Every time a people is tasting the product and having a smile is a great reward and just a great encouragement for continuing to providing a better product for a better future. Wasn't that just yummy? Mm -mm -mm. I mean, they want to put flavor in it. They want to make sure it's palatable to your taste buds. I want to look at this article of, uh, what are we here? Of January 24, 2023. Uh, from a Joycelyn Solis 
Nariara. Excuse me if I screwed that up. Barcelona, Spain. Look at this plate full of crickets. Most people would pass on an insect lollipop or cricket chips. But a new study uh, suggests society will uh, start rethinking these options when they consider the number of benefits insects bring. The number of benefits insects. Well, you know, John the Baptist did eat locusts. I suppose if that's what you want to do, it's okay. I, I'm not in that thing, though. A team in Spain says edible insects are a sustainable source of protein with less of a carbon footprint. Here we go with this climate change stuff. Uh, then beef, going against the cows. With that in mind, their survey finds 58% of respondents agree bugs could become a legitimate meat alternative in the future. Eating insects may seem like a taboo in the Western world, but it's also been a uniquely or unique delicacy for a good part of human history, from Roman emperors to farmers in ancient China. Really. Insects were <clears throat> a common food choice. While the practice has been largely abandoned in many countries, some in Japan, Thailand, Mexico, Peru, and parts of Africa continue to feast on these buggy delights. At first glance, eating a bug that crawls in the dirt might seem bad for your health. However, a number of animal studies have linked eating insects to weight control. Well, I guess you'd have to eat a whole lot of them jokers to get full, at least I would. Reducing blood sugar levels, decreasing cholesterol, and keeping a diverse gut microbiome. So I guess they're saying that eating insects is good for your gut. I should tell my wife about that. One reason for the numerous health benefits in edible insects is the fact that they are rich in unsaturated fatty acids. Research on insect foods for humans has shown similar health benefits with increases in intestinal health, a reduction in systemic inflammation, and increases in blood concentrations of amino acids. You know, I guess I was reading about the blood sugar levels. Um, maybe that will help people with diabetes. I wonder if it helps you with blood... Uh, What's that word I'm looking for? Blood pressure. That would be my issue. Given the number of health benefits, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations has called for increased efforts toward destigmatizing insect consumption. In the current study, researchers from uh, Universet Abaret de Catalunya surveyed 1,034 people on their views about eating insects. More than four in five, 86%, have never eaten an insect, with only 13% saying they've tried it at least once. I'm in at 86%. The main reason for passing on insects is disgust. The poll finds 38% says it grosses them out, with another 15% saying it's not a part of their culture to eat bugs. 9% had concerns about the safety of eating insects. Now there's a chart. Uh, you might not be able to see it that well. This environmental footprint of insects versus meat. The bottom line is they got up at the top, insects require less water less energy, and less land use. And they got, at the bottom, cows. More water, more energy, more land use to provide food. So the selling point here is insects are cheaper, more economical. The environmental footprint of insects versus meat, um, pass all that stuff, even when the study author asked people to consider incorporating insects into their normal diet, 
many people rejected the idea. Only 16% would be open to the possibility. Dining in a restaurant offering insect dishes do not do much to sway the poll stance on insect consumption. Nearly three in four, 73%, say they would not select this option. Despite the consistent rejection and disgust over eating insects, scientists are hopeful people will become open-minded over time. In another survey, 50% of respondents believe having information on insects as a sustainable food source would encourage people to eat them. I don't know about that one. Let's continue. One major barrier to promoting insect food is how the dishes are prepared. Seven in 10 say they would have an easier time accepting a meal if it hit the insect's natural shape. Only 10% believe insects would be more attractive to consumers if they held their natural appearance in a dish. The most popular way to eat insects appears to be having them mixed into flour, biscuits, and bars. The findings give food scientists an idea of what factors need to be considered to make people more open-minded to trying insect in future diets. With people living longer and the world's population expected to increase by 2050, insects may provide society with an alternative food source of protein for countries where it is environmentally difficult and costly to maintain farms and livestock. This is this is twisted thinking or thought. They're basically just saying, again, that there's too many people. We got to find another source for folks to eat. Let's let them eat insects. Insects is good. According to a study uh, author, excuse me, eating insects has the potential to improve food security and lower global hunger. Insects also have environmental benefits as they take up less space and emit fewer greenhouse gases than cattle. Here we are, climate change. Cattle's killing us. Let's eat bugs. For example, replacing beef production with edible insect production would cut greenhouse gases by <clears throat> 95%, that's a lie, and energy consumption by 62% according to estimates. I'll get into the lie why this 95% is a lie in a little while. I'm not saying that the greenhouse gases from cows is equivalent to whatever a greenhouse gas you're going to get from bugs, but cutting greenhouse gases by 95% is a lie. They're trying to scare people into quit eating meat. The world's going to end. We're all going to die. Um, you get rid of the cow. Just go ahead and suffer because that's what's going to be best for you. I want to put up this next video. Uh, it's going to counter some of the nonsense that we just got through reading about eating bugs. Hold on a second. Let's take a look at this. There has been a conspiracy theory floating around the internet that global elites want to start making people eat bugs. Well, I looked into it, and there's a lot more truth to the stories than people realize. So there has been a push recently to encourage people to start eating bugs. Most notably, Vanity Fair posted a YouTube video with Nicole Kidman eating bugs. So what kind of bugs are people wanting us to eat? Crickets. Does this look tasty to you? Would you like to eat some crickets? How about tarantulas? There are many parts of the world where people eat tarantulas. Is this making you hungry? What about mealworms? Would you like to eat some mealworms? In the video with Nicole Kidman, she ate mealworms while they were still alive. I don't know about you, 
But I think this all sounds disgusting. In this discussion, I want to focus on one man, Bill Gates. In 2012, the Gates Foundation granted $100,000 to All Things Bugs LLC. In 2021, the Gates Foundation gave $2.2 million to the Insecti Pro Limited. Thanks to these investments, the bug industry has been growing. Last year, Aspire Food Group opened a new plant in London, Ontario, Canada. It will produce 9,000 metric tons of crickets per year for human and pet consumption. That is 2 billion insects each year for consumption across Canada and the United States. I hope you like crickets because they are making a lot of them. To build these factories, they were funded by $1 million of startup capital from the Holt Prize, which was given to them by Bill Clinton. Aspire Food Group also has a facility in Austin, Texas. Here is another factory in Canada called Entomo Farms that harvests 50 million crickets per week. That is 2.6 billion crickets per year. This is the room where they grow the crickets. They harvest them every six weeks. They clean them and put them on baking trays. Then they cook them in ovens. Then they grind them into a powder that can be mixed with flour. I'm showing this to you so that you realize this is not a conspiracy theory. They are already producing bugs for you to eat. A lot of this agenda is being driven by the World Economic Forum. Bill Gates speaks frequently at the World Economic Forum and is seen often with the chairperson, Klaus Schwab. In 2021, the World Economic Forum posted this article, why we need to give insects the role they deserve in our food systems. The argument is that farming insects is cheaper and has less impact on the environment than standard forms of animal farming like beef. Now, there are a lot of fact check websites out there that are funded by the global elite that debunk the notion that anyone is trying to make you eat bugs. They always use the same argument. They claim that it is a conspiracy theory. They try to tell you you're just crazy and stop being paranoid. They claim no one wants to stop you from doing anything. They are merely providing you with more options. More options are a good thing, right? This is a lie. Don't be fooled by this because the same people at the same time are trying to restrict the production of meat. This is all driven by climate change. You may have heard that carbon emissions cause global warming. Al Gore went around the world giving presentations about the dangers of carbon. In 2006, he released a documentary called An Inconvenient Truth, which won two Academy Awards. But there is a problem. Some of the claims he made have failed to come true. For instance, in a presentation in 2009, he claimed that the North Pole would be completely ice-free by 2013. That did not happen. We just hit another major climate milestone date. Climate activist Greta Thunberg predicted in 2018 that climate change will wipe out all of humanity by June 21st, 20. It didn't happen. Neither one of those things happened. None of the nonsense that these people say happens. The only thing that happens is they scare the hell out of people or they scare people into hell, whichever way you want to take the analogy. And they make people too fearful to, to accept reality or to have a biblical mindset. Um, yeah, Greta's still running around here, you know, saying, how dare you? Al's still running around here, flying around his private jet uh, with his gigantic carbon footprint, picking up his checks. But they want you to eat bugs. But bugs is not the only thing they want you to eat. They want you to eat lab-grown meat. This stuff is real, people. Meat that they grow in a laboratory.
They want you to get away from eating God's creation altogether. Man is, is, is about making a solution for global warming or climate change or whatever they want to call it. And when I look at this clip on um, the new meat, meat of the future, this is some crazy stuff, people. And they have it now. They, they've already, they have some chicken out now. And it's making me wonder, there was a Chinese restaurant I used to um, visit when I was in California. And one of the things they offered was this teriyaki chicken. And I never really understood what piece of meat that came from or, you know, what part of the chicken. You know, it seemed like it was breast meat, but I wasn't sure. I don't know if I was getting lab meat or not, but I'm going to show you some lab meat right now. Take a look at this. The meat of the future will likely be lab-grown. Compared to our conventional methods of getting meat on the table, lab-grown meat, which debuted in 2013, doesn't involve slaughtering of animals, nor does it require as many environmental resources. Compared to other livestock, raising cows require 28 times more land and 11 times more water. The World Wildlife Fund adds that beef production drives 25% of global land use and forestry emissions. And in the near future, lab-grown meat is going to be cheaper, faster, and more environmentally friendly to produce for our growing population. But how exactly does one grow meat in a lab? The process isn't as weird as you might think. Currently, the most successful method involves harvesting stem cells from cows. Stem cells are the building blocks of essentially everything, from muscles to organs, from which muscle tissue is harvested from the live animal in what is said to be a harmless, painless procedure. The tissue is made up of muscle and fat cells, which the scientists separate from one another. What we need are the muscles, which are then dissected and cultured. Cell culturing is where a cell is removed from a plant or animal and then put into a favorable artificial environment, usually some type of substrate that supplies essential nutrients like amino acids and carbohydrates to grow. All it takes is just one singular muscle stem cell to grow up to one trillion muscle cells. The newly grown muscle cells naturally merge together to form tiny myotubes, which are then placed in a ring. The muscle cells' tendency to contract frequently causes them to grow into a small strand of muscle tissue. The muscle tissue tubes are then layered together to form a hamburger shape. One muscle cell has the potential to turn into one trillion muscle tissue strands, which is a lot of burgers. The lab-grown hamburgers don't quite look like normal hamburgers and are much paler in color and blander in taste. But as scientists point out, that blander taste is a fair trade for an efficient way to create protein and feed the world's growing population. The price of lab-grown hamburgers has already dropped from $325,000 to just over $11 per patty. While it is still pricey compared to a Big Mac, which costs $4.79 on average, the price will likely drop in the future as production methods are streamlined, meaning that more likely than not, lab-grown meat will be on your dinner plate in the near future. Lab-grown meat. Uh, there was another one about, I didn't bring it out, about lab-grown chicken that is already available that you can buy. They called it cultured meat, a culture, and there were some other names. So you got to watch this stuff when you go to a store and you get strange names uh, because who knows what they're, what they're trying to give us these days. I mean, would you actually want a hamburger that was developed in a laboratory? It's like reverse Dr. Frankenstein or something. I mean, it's just, it's just unnatural and unnecessary to me. And, we're concerned, well, I'm concerned about animals that they're putting antibiotics in and, and steroids and all kinds of stuff to increase the size of regular animals, let alone some stuff these people create in the lab. And how is that going to digest within us? And what will it do to our internal organs? I don't want nothing to do with it, folks. Let's look at this. Let's read this article real quick as we move on about cows, because cows is what they want to get rid of, about cow farts. And we got an article here 
uh, July 27, 2023, by uh, Teresa Bort. Do cow farts cause global warming? Now, this is a pro cow article. So I'll tell you, they're not going to say it caused global warming. It says, <clears throat> while it makes for endless dad jokes, it's a myth that cow farts cause global warming. Cow fart, excuse me, cow actually burp out methane as their complex rudiment digestive system breaks down plant material, explains Dr. Sarah Place, an animal science professor at Colorado State University. Activist groups often blame cow emissions, or put it bluntly, cow farts for climate change. That's because cows emit methane, a greenhouse gas linked to global warming. Okay, yes, cow farts make it for great comedy, but in reality, climate change and livestock agriculture's role are a lot more complicated, Place says. Cattle and other uh, ruminant animals account for about 4% of the U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. That is a big change from the 95% that we were reading about earlier or hearing about earlier. And I'm going to give you more information on that. According to the United States Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, in comparison, our transportation system, including cars, planes, and more, account for more than 25% of the U.S. greenhouse gases emissions. So if it accounts for 25%, how could the cows account for 95? People are trying to scare you. Even extremely dietary changes, such as switching to vegan, all plant diet won't have much impact on climate change and global temperature, Place explains. Research show that removing all livestock and poultry from the U.S. food system would only reduce global greenhouse gas emissions by 0.36%. Plus, studies have shown that if we eliminate all livestock from the U.S. farms, our diets would be deficient of vital nutrients, including high-quality protein, iron, vitamin B12, that meats provides places. I mean, think about it. It's about if we have a non-meat diet, there are many people in this country that are like me, pure carnivores. You want to see a revolution, you want to see a civil war, you want to see anarchy in the streets, you take away our meat. It, it, it'll get ugly and it'll get ugly fast. People want to act. I don't doubt the good intentions. People want to make a positive difference, Place says. But if anybody, or but if somebody does meatless Mondays, they are making no difference at all. I heard they got some stuff like that in these schools, some schools. Iowa farmers remain committed to continuous improvement to ensure the safety, nutrition, and suitability of the foods they grow for all. Uh, hold on a second. Yeah, I want them to keep it up. Okay. Uh, Mr. Lohner, a animal scientist and air quality specialist at the University of California, Davis. For example, the U.S. dairy industry's carbon footprint has shrunk by two-thirds since the 1950s, Mithalohar says. Cows may still belch, but U.S. farmers are raising fewer cows today. There are about 9 million dairy cows in the United States compared to 25 dairy cows in 1950, 25 million. That helps drive down potential greenhouse gas emissions like carbon dioxide and methane. However, even with much fewer cows, the U.S. dairy farms now produce 60% more milk than in the 1950s thanks to improvements in farm animal care, sustainability, and technology. I ran over in part one how even though we increase with a population, we increase with technology and we are able to feed everybody as the way God always designed. Also worth noting, while methane is a potent greenhouse gas, it rapidly decays in 12 years. Methylonor says, in comparison, carbon dioxide releases 
by burning fossil fuels last in the air for hundreds of years. So if a cattle farm has existed for 12 years, and many cattle farms in Iowa have operated for generations, those established farms are carbon neutral and aren't creating any new methane emissions, whatever that name says. As for beef's role in a sustainable diet, Place explains that cattle are natural upcyclers. Cattle can consume plant material such as grass, corn stalks, cottonseed hulls, ethanol byproducts, and more that are inedible to humans because of cattle's unique rudiment digestive system. Without cattle, this plant material would end up in landfills. Place says a food waste in landfill is one of the biggest sources of greenhouse gas emissions in the United States, according to the EPA. When you talk about nutrition and sustainability, cattle play a unique role in the rudiments, rudiments in the larger agriculture and food system, Place says. They are talking what, excuse me, they are taking what we can consume and upgrading those resources into high quality beef. Nutritionally, beef is an excellent source of many micronutrients, including uh, B12, iron, zinc, and high quality protein that are essential for human health, experts say. The USDA also recommends lean beef as part of a healthy, heart-healthy diet in my plate dietary guidelines. Okay, so like I said, this is a pro-cow um, article. But I want to show you another clip from the gentleman we see earlier on how the climate folks are talking about cows and methane. So let's get this one down. And see some more of the nonsense that we've been watching. Take a look at this one. There is a new thing. Scientists have now determined that nitrogen, ammonia, and methane are even more dangerous than carbon in creating global warming. In a United Nations report from 2018, they claim that nitrogen pollution is one of the most important pollution issues facing humanity. Nitrogen is 300 times more potent at warming the atmosphere than carbon dioxide. My first question is, why have we never heard about this before? If scientists were studying carbon pollution for over a decade, why are we just hearing about nitrogen now? Regardless, without questioning these findings, governments have quickly moved to restrict these gases, which mostly come from farming. In the Netherlands, the government ordered farmers to reduce their herds by half. The farmers, have been protesting. In Ireland, the government proposed killing 200,000 cows to reduce their impact. In New Zealand, they want to reduce methane by reducing cow farts. Last year, they proposed a new law called the fart tax. Every time a cow farts, you get a tax. I swear, I am not making this up. Yes, this is a real thing. This new tax would encourage farmers to reduce the size of their herds to avoid the tax. Less cows, less farts. And in case you were wondering, this is coming to America next. Just last month, special presidential envoy for climate, John Kerry, started talking about this issue. He said, a lot of people have no clue that agriculture contributes about 33% of all the emissions of the world. We can't get to net zero. We don't get this job done unless agriculture is front and center as part of the solution. They are coming after the farmers, just like they have in the Netherlands, Ireland, and New Zealand. You know, John Kerry, I, I, I haven't been able to get over this guy since he was running for president. 
and he was reporting for duty. Uh, Swift Boat, you know, when he, when he first came home from Vietnam, he was talking about we were running over the place like Genghis Khan and all kinds of stuff, and then he wanted to present himself as a hero. This guy is one of the biggest frauds out there. Let me show you a graph from the EPA. Now look at this. This is a graph from the EPA about greenhouse gases. It says 28% come from transportation, 25% from electrical power, 23% from industry, 13% from commercial and residentials, 10% from agriculture. And what it says is livestock, especially rudiment, rudiment, whatever that is, such as cattle, produce methane as part of their normal digestive uh, process. This process is called enteric formation, uh, fermentation, and it represents over a quarter of the greenhouse gas emissions from the agricultural sector. So this nonsense we just saw about 33% is, is insane. And we saw this thing about 95% earlier. The fact of it is 25% to 10% is like 2.5% of the greenhouse gases of all of everything. So they want us to stop eating meat and it's not going to make a, a lick of difference. People, it's a con job. They, they, they don't, they're not even lying. Their lies are not even lining up with their own documentation. They're conning us and they're trying to scare us into doing what they want to do so they can control us. I hear, I hear Bill Gates is buying up a bunch of the farmland. All these people are buying up a bunch of farmland. But look, let's look at some stuff here. Let's get biblical for a minute. I want you to see this. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Kabas. We're supposed to subdue it. We're supposed to overcome it. We're supposed to make it subject to us. We're supposed to bring it under control. So when we talk about fossil fuels, which I went into in deep detail in part one, God gave us this stuff. Everything that God gave us, he, he gave it to us. He told us to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, not kill off our babies, not worried about uh, there's not enough room. He told us to fill it. Now, let me go back a little bit in Genesis. I'm going to go back. I'm still in chapter 1, but verse 24 and 25. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts on the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after his kind and God saw that it was good. God made cows. God gave us cows. God said it was good. But if you want to sit down there and wonder about, well, can I eat? Well, that just because it's good doesn't mean I'm supposed to be eating them. Let's continue. In Genesis, hold on, people. After the flood, what did God say to Noah? And God, you know, blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. After God wiped everybody out, he went back to his original commandment, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast on the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. If God said that the cattle was good, if God said that we can eat cattle, why should I worry about what some man says? If God said fill the earth, why should I concern myself with what some man says? People that's been running around here talking about climate change and the earth is going to be destroyed and the, and the ice caps are going to uh, melt and it ain't never happened. Or this is, think about some young girl, some young dumb girl telling you the world's coming to the end. And I'm supposed to worry about that. Oh, well, I, I, I better do what they say. It's better to do 
what God says. That's the prudent thing to do. So all this nonsense, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. I got one more clip from this guy. And I think this was really potent as far as helping some people possibly see that they've been misled. Check this out. Let me get this one up for you. Liars. Okay. Here we go. Take a look at this. These climate activists are not just going to stop at farming. They are now coming for your pizza. New York is set to restrict emissions from coal and wood-fired pizza ovens in restaurants. Restaurant owners will be forced to install new filters on their ovens at a cost of $20,000 plus costly maintenance. If they do not comply, the restaurants must stop selling pizza. The New York Post this week ran the numbers. They calculated that you would have to burn a pizza oven 849 years to equal one year of pollution from John Kerry's private jet. So if John Kerry just took one less trip per year, we could still all eat pizza. Don't you find it a little bit curious that it is the poor people that always have to suffer for these climate solutions? Well, this time they have gone too far. If there's one thing I know, don't try to take an American's pizza. I don't think these people even care about the environment. And the way you know that the global elite are lying to you is because there are so many other solutions out there that they ignore that could improve the planet. For instance, why are we producing all our goods in China? Do you know where China is? It's all the way on the other side of the world. That's really far away. So you're telling me that it is good for the environment to produce goods in heavily polluting Chinese factories and then burn all that fuel to ship them halfway around the world. It seems to me to be a lot better for the environment to make all those goods in America and give all those jobs to Americans. But global elites do not want to hear that because it would not make them any money. I will give you another example, Amazon. Do you know how much trash Amazon creates? In 2021, Amazon created 709 million pounds of plastic packaging. That is the size of 70,000 killer whales. Not only that, it is an 18% increase from 2020. So the situation is getting worse. It is estimated that out of the total amount of plastic, 26 million pounds will end up in the oceans, rivers, and other aquatic ecosystems. Now I will ask you, does this seem good for the environment? How can we never hear about this? Wouldn't a better solution be to have more small businesses on Main Street rather than receive so many packages from Amazon? Or how about this? Amazon should have to pay to clean up all the trash in the ocean, so that way small businesses can become more competitive in the marketplace. There are so many easy solutions that you never hear about. Why? Because Amazon headquarters is located right next to Washington, D.C. The politicians hear from Amazon and they do not hear from you. These global elites do not care about the environment. They care about taking away your rights so that they can make more money. They don't care about Amazon's plastic. They care about making you eat bugs. Let me explain in a really simple way why I don't buy into this climate hysteria. One of the claims is that if we don't stop global warming, sea levels will rise and wipe out coastal cities. Here's the problem. One of the biggest advocates for climate change is Barack Obama. Here's a photograph of Obama's beach house. If global warming was really a crisis, 
Why would Obama buy a house right on the beach? You can see the beach right there. This does not look like a crisis to me. It looks like he is a liar. It certainly doesn't seem to be a big enough deal to kill 200,000 cows in Ireland. And I would also like to know, why do no journalists ever ask Obama this question? Just ask him, why would he buy a beach house if he is so concerned about rising sea levels? You know what? Please leave a comment down below if you know why journalists will not ask Obama this question. But Obama is not alone. Here is Bill Gates' beach house. Here is Al Gore's beach house. Here is John Kerry's beach house. You can see the beach right there. Is anyone else seeing this? If these people are so concerned about rising sea levels, why are they all buying beach houses? It doesn't seem like they are that worried about it. So you're telling me that I have to eat the bugs to stop climate change while you are laughing it up in your beach house. I'm not buying it. I think they are liars. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I think they're liars. I think they're deceiving folks. I think people buy all this nonsense, fear and conditioning and programming without research. We have a lying media. I mean, the whole thing is a joke. Next week, part four, windmills. Hopefully we'll finish this thing off. This is Sam Tolley and I'm out.